I'm, uh, I'm deeply grateful uh, for the worship times we've had together, the, the band, and, and I know you are. I know they're your friends and everything, but why don't we just thank God for them and the gifts and abilities that God has given them. And, uh, appreciate it a, a great deal. I love that song. I love that song, Jesus Be the Center. I absolutely love it. I've, uh, if you'll allow me just a personal moment, not that you haven't, but if you'd allow me just a personal moment, I've probably told you more than I maybe should have over the last 48 hours together. I told you that my son emerged from my wife last night, I realized, and that was, I told Julie that, and she was like, you said that in that chapel? And I said, I, I did. And she said, I really need to travel with you. I need to go with you more. Um, I remember, Mark, uh, I'm sorry, I call you President Mark. I apologize, Mr. President. I, uh, I remember, um, I remember a district conference where Dr. David Metters stood up in front of it and he was giving a presentation about Bethany Bible College. And it was when I was in Jackson, Michigan. And I remember the passion that he gave it and the zeal and the fervor and I mean, he described this place like Disneyland for preachers, you know? And, uh, and I rem- this is what I remember doing. I remember sitting there thinking, why in the world didn't I go there? Why in the world didn't I go up to go there? And I had my reasons. Just look out the window. I, I had my reasons um, why I didn't go there. But, um, but I'm here now, and I'll tell you right now, I, I wish it wouldn't. I'm 42 years old. I'm an, I'm an old man and uh, grain as we speak, but uh, I'm so glad um, that I got here. I'm so glad, and I hope you know, while I never went to school here, you've taught me a lot uh, over the last 48 hours. Uh, You've given me a lot of hope for what, um, when I say young people, I don't mean that in a diminishing way at all, but you've given me a lot of hope uh, for what your generation can do, and the stories that I've heard you tell, and the heart of your, the stories I've heard you tell of just heart cry for reaching unreached people and uh, just using, you know, being used by God and sharing with youth groups and even your testimony tonight. And just, I, I know for, I, I speak for Jackie, Vic, and myself, we're just really thrilled and blessed by you and, and uh, want to say thanks uh, for that. I'm, I'm really grateful uh, for your president and, and uh, Miss Sherry, that's as Southern as I'm going to get tonight, Miss Sherry. Um, I didn't talk about this much this weekend, but when we started our church, Sherry and, and the boys, they were our band. Like, that was it. And Jordan came along. She, like, she rolled cables and stuff. And uh, we, had, we had a fifth-grade drummer at our church plant when we started our church. And uh, some of my people would come, and they'd be like, man, your drummer is awesome. Like, where did you find him? And we said, Duncan Lake Middle School is where we found him. <laughs> and um, I remember the Sunday, I, I've held off on telling this story, but I'll tell you right now, I... I got the microphone, so I'm going to tell this story anyway. My, my, one of my favorite mornings was uh, one that your president was there. He, he wasn't there very much. He, was, he had the poorest church attendance of any member that we had in our church because he was always somebody else's church, and uh, he thought he could do that, and so he did. And So one Sunday, though, he was there, and J.J. was a little timid on the, on the drums, just kind of tapping, tap, tap, tap. And, uh, and I watched your president sanctified man that he is 
Paul JJ into the hallway of Zion Christian School in Byron Center, Michigan. We didn't have any air conditioning in the summer. We didn't have any heat in the winter. It was a wonderful place to go to church. And uh, he pulled JJ out in the hallway, and I watched him, like in his ear, like like a good hockey coach, say, JJ, if you don't go in there and bang those drums the way you know to bang those drums, you'll never play drums in this church again. Do you understand me? And JJ's fifth grade, and the tears are welling up in his eyes. Yes, 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 sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. And he went in, and he banged the snot out of those drums. I, I, it, was like, it was like ZZ Top, heavy metal, like Chris Tomlin with a goatee. I mean, it was... It was nuts. And I remember afterwards, uh, our worship guy, Josh McNall, he said to me, he said, what in the world? That like JJ must have had a Red Bull before service. And I said, I think his dad threatened to kick him out of the house is what he threatened. So uh, I'll say this. If any one of those boys or you, Jordan, ever do get kicked out of the house, you can come to our house any day of the week. Um, I mean that. I asked Mark and Sherry the other day. We saw each other in Indiana. And I said, I need to know how to raise three boys to love Jesus and love the church. And so I'm really grateful. I didn't ever think that I would be involved in missions. Um, I I told you earlier, it wasn't that I thought missions was a bad idea because I knew it was a good idea. It's God's idea. It's Jesus' idea. But I never thought that I would be involved in it ever. And when I graduated from college, like I told you yesterday, all I, all I wanted to do was pastor a church of a thousand people. That's all I wanted. That's all I dreamed of. And um, not that dreaming of that is wrong. I'm not saying that it is, but for me, it, it skewed everything. And I remember I, was, I graduated and nobody wanted to hire me. Um, I didn't do very well in preaching class. Uh, I didn't. Um, uh, if you're grading these sermons... Um, Please ask for forgiveness right now. But if you're grading these sermons, um, oh, thanks. I, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, that's what my wife would have done. Appreciate that. Uh, my wife thanks you. She's watching the live stream. She's like, get out of Kleenex, McCullum. Um, I didn't do very well in preaching class. I remember uh, I got done in preaching class. We'd do our final sermon. And Dr. Bud Bentz, who was very influential in my life, was our professor. And and I'd listen to everybody else give their first sermon. Anybody else in preaching class right now? Have you had to like listen to everybody else give their first sermon? Yeah, yeah. Does it sound like fingernails on the chalkboard to you? No, maybe not? Okay, your school is better than mine was because by the end of it, like there were a whole bunch of us in our class and all these first sermons and I just remember thinking, I'm not gonna do what they did. So I did my own thing and I stood up and uh, I got done with my, I dressed up like an old man and I made my hair all gray, I put powder in my hair and I did the least exegetical, it was exegetical preaching, I did the least exegetical sermon that you could humanly do and Dr. Bent stood up and he said, Chad, no one has not done the assignment as well as you didn't do the assignment. And I said, what does that mean? He said, it means you just got a D on your final sermon and I was like, what? And uh, I got a C in preaching, C. Big fat C in preaching. And I knew that when I graduated, I knew that 
I wanted to serve God, and I knew that I wanted to be a pastor. And so I had people call and say, well, don't you want to be a youth pastor? And I remember saying to people, literally saying to people, listen, I didn't even like being a youth. Like, you don't want me to be a youth pastor. And, uh, and so they would say, okay, that, you know, we're going to talk, about, talk to somebody else. I remember people saying, um, are, do you have any experience? And I remember telling people, I had two sermons. I had two two sermons. So I had a Sunday morning sermon and a Sunday night sermon that I could preach somewhere. And beyond that, I said, that's the experience I got. I got, I got two. And uh, I remember when I went to my first church, I preached in the morning, preached at night. I called my dad. This is back before cell phones. I called my dad from a payphone in Coldwater, Michigan. And he said, you don't sound too excited about the unanimous vote you just got. And I said, no, I'm not. And he said, why? And I said, because I'm completely out of material, I told him. I said, I got nothing. And he said, Chad, welcome to the rest of your life. And, and it's true. So all I wanted to do was be a pastor. That's all I wanted to do. And I wanted to be a pastor of a church. I wanted to lead a church. And I wanted to lead a church that was like going to be really significant in the place where it was. And I remember John Maxwell talking about building a great church for God. And that's what I wanted to do. And then my boss, I ended up working at Indiana Wesleyan in admissions and recruiting students. And, and my boss said to me one day, I want you to go on a road trip to Vennard Bible College in Vennard, Iowa. Anybody from Iowa in the room? Yeah. Do you know where Vennard is? It's a little dot, okay? There's not much there. There's a little Bible college that used to be there. And so uh, he said, I want you to go out there because the college was closing and we were gonna take, receive credits from those students to Indiana Wesleyan. He said, I want you to go on that trip. I said, that's fine. It's what I do for a living. And he said, I want you to go with Dr. Wayne Wright. Now, Dr. Wayne Wright is still living. He's, he's in assisted living now. At one point, he was the head of Global Partners and he was one of my professors um, back in, in my college days. He taught all the missions classes. And I'll be dead level honest, I skipped more of those classes. I mean, I, I, remember, I remember at the start of those classes thinking, how many classes can I skip and not go into like too many skips? And so I was none too excited about going on this trip with Dr. Wayne Wright. I remember saying to my friends, I have no idea what I'm gonna talk to this man about for the next eight hours in the car as we drive out to Vernard, Iowa and back. I, and we're gonna room together at the Super 8 in Vernard, Iowa. Like, what are we gonna talk about? Somewhere along the way, Dr. Wright asked me a question. He said, Chad, why is it that young people like yourself aren't interested in missions? Why is it that young people like you don't care about it? Why is it that all you want to do is build a great church for God? And that conversation started about an hour outside of Marion, Indiana. And that conversation ended three days later. And I remember coming back from that trip. And it was like God stirred something in my heart that I can't describe. I was still skewed in a whole lot of ways, but I knew that somehow I wanted to like influence what God was doing and be part of what God was doing around the world. And so I went to Fairmount Campground. I went there in the evening one night and Fairmount's where they had, it's like Beulah. If, if Beulah is like um, Neiman Marcus, like really nice, um, Fairmount is like Walmart is what it is. Don't tell anybody else, but it's like a lower grade Wesleyan camp. And so I went out there, I found a spot and I, and I put a, I put literally, I put a stake in the ground. Like I physically beat it into the ground. And I said, whatever God you have for me, I want to serve you and I want to serve the nations. And I just believe that tonight God might want some of you to put a stake in the ground. I believe that tonight might be a night that you would remember that on a snowy, cold night like this, 
you just said, you know what, I, I did some business with God, and God did some business with me, and I walked away from this chapel tonight by saying, I will forever live my life differently. And you say, well, does that mean you're wanting all of us to go somewhere in the world? Maybe, but at the very least, it means this. If you don't go somewhere in the world, then I long for every single one of you to do something here so significant, to build a fire that burns so hot that it influences what God is doing all around the world. That you would start a church that would send people, that you would pastor a church that would shepherd people and care for people, but also remember that there's people again that have never heard. And for some of you, it will mean saying, you know what, we're gonna go. Like we've been putting it off and I've been thinking about it, but I'm, but I'm gonna go. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go down that road. I'm gonna follow Jesus as he leads. By way of review, we've talked about these three things together. We've talked about the fact that mission has to be motivated by compassion. If mission is motivated by anything other than compassion, mission gets messed up. If mission gets motivated by anything other than compassion, mission gets flawed. If mission is motivated by guilt or mission is motivated by mere obligation, mission is flawed. But if mission is motivated by compassion, then, then that's where God does his best work. We've talked about the fact that the harvest is worthy of making, it's worth making the harvest our very best pursuit. Our primary pursuit, that we, we would say, I want to know God and I want to make him known. I want to know God and I want to be part of the harvest that he has. It's worthy of your life. And, and there's going to be plenty of people in this world that will tell you that it's not worthy of your life. But I'll tell you, it's worthy of your life making the harvest your primary pursuit. And we talked this morning about the fact that there is no place in kingdom work for unemployment. There is no place in kingdom work for any of us to be on the sidelines. And, and by the way, one of the reasons why, si why unemployment exists that I didn't get into this morning, but I just want to kind of touch on it here for a minute, is that sometimes unemployment exists because someone is employed and they disqualify themselves. Sometimes someone is employed and, and instead of like following the rules of engagement of what it means to be employed, they disqualify themselves. And I'm not going to preach the sermon tonight, but I'll just say it again. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Above all else, guard your heart. One translation says, for out of it flows your life story. You will never regret being a person of purity. You will never regret being a person of integrity. You will never regret guarding your heart, not in a defensive way, like, I'm not gonna let anybody close to me, but you will never regret, you will never regret, like my grandpa used to say, growing the hedges high in your life. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is a wellspring of life. There is no place for unemployment in kingdom work. You know, a whole lot of my uh, classmates that I've studied pastor school with, preacher school, um, they're not standing in pulpits today because they disqualified themselves for employment. Quite honestly, a number of my professors uh, fell into that same category. And every time that happens, the enemy wins and the kingdom loses. So what does somebody do? Like, what is our response? If, if compassion is to be our motivating force and the harvest is worth our primary pursuit, and there's no place for unemployment in kingdom work, 
then what do we do? Now, here's my personality type, true confessions. It's pretty much what it's been the last 48 hours, I guess. Um, true confessions, my personality type is, let's get busy and do something. Like, I, I, I'm like, let's go. Let's all go. Let's get on a bus and go. Let's go tell somebody about Jesus. Let's go somewhere and serve. Let's go somewhere and give. Let, let's get active and let's get busy doing something. But Matthew chapter 9 messes me up. Because Matthew chapter 9 messes me up in a good way. It says this. It's going to be on the screen. You already heard it tonight. We're going to all say it together. Matthew chapter 9, verse 38, in your best outside voices. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Let's, let's read it one more time. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. I read that verse and that verse says, Chad, slow down a minute. That verse says, Chad, there's something that comes even in your going. There's something that comes with that. This verse doesn't say don't go. This verse says, ask God to send out people into that field. So I want to talk for just a few minutes tonight about the implications of Matthew chapter 9, verse 38. And I want to talk for just a few moments about what that, this verse might mean to us as we sit here tonight in this part of the Father's world. Here's a first implication. These won't be on the screen. But here's the first one, at least as I see it. The Father knows that prayer for the harvest leads to passion for the harvest, an implication of this, I think, is that the Father knows. Why would the Father say, ask God to send out workers? I think in part, the Father knows that if you pray for the harvest and workers for the harvest, that that will lead to passion for the harvest. One author has said it this way, the reason that there's so little passion for reaching the harvest is because there's so little prayer actually for the harvest. Like, do a little catalog of your prayers, what have you prayed about in the last 48 hours of your life? And I realize this is like a focus time. So many of us have prayed, God, how do you want to use me? And God, how do you want to change me? But we prayed for other things too. I prayed last night, Lord, let it stop snowing. When I talked to my wife on the phone and we prayed together as we do almost every day of our lives, I said, Lord, let it stop snowing because you know that I'm brittle. And, and if it keeps snowing, I'm going to be cold. I literally prayed that. And my wife was like, stop whining. Like you wanted to be part of missions, you know? And I'm like, you're right. And so like, I pray that. I prayed this morning, I prayed this morning for some things that you look at and you say, why in the world did you even pray for that? Like that, that's a strange prayer to pray. But when you pray for the harvest, when you pray for workers for the harvest, your passion for the harvest just goes up. You see, the more I pray for something, the more I care about something. So one day, I've told you about Miles, he's I'm going to owe him, so every time I talk about him in a sermon, I have to give him a buck. And so this, this is like a $100 visit for me this week. And so uh, one day I was sitting with Miles at the kitchen table. And Miles is, Dr. Dennis Jackson's there, and his wife Gwen is there, and my kids are around the table. And we're like, please, please, please don't kill each other while my boss is here. And so we're all around the table. And Dr. Jackson was talking about Cambodia and things that were happening in Cambodia and, and some things that were really stressful in the church in Cambodia. And so that night when I'm tucking Miles into bed, and I said to Miles, he didn't say a word during all of this, but when I tuck him into bed and I said to Miles, anything we need to pray about? Miles said this. He said, yeah, Dad. We need to pray for Cambodia. 
I'm like, why do we need to pray for Cambodia? He said, because Dr. Jackson said there's some problems in Cambodia. And so we prayed for Cambodia. I thought maybe that'll be one night. You know, like we'll pray for Cambodia. We pray for Cambodia almost every single night of that kid's life. And he'll pray for it. God, help those pastors just to love you and to, and to love your church better and to not do bad things. Like, that's what my boy will pray. And if you said to my boy, what do you care about? He would say, one of the things I care about is I care about Cambodia. I care about what God's doing there. I care about it so much that he'll say to me, Dad, when are we going to Cambodia? I'm like, well, it's not really on the radar. Like, it's not really on my travel plans. Well, it should be. We're praying about it, aren't we, Dad? And then one day our kids met Rob and Monica Rogers. And Rob and Monica's kids, Evan and Lauren, and Rob and Monica are missionaries to uh, unreached uh, peoples through Global Partners. And when we go to bed now, we'll say anything we need to pray about, and Chase will say, we need to pray for Evan and Lauren, because they're a long way from, from their friends and their family tonight. And the more we pray for Rob and Monica, the more we care about what God is doing in their part of the world, and the more we have passion for that. And then we pray for David and Dina Scott, because our family supports them. And so the more we pray for David and Dina Scott, and what God's doing through their lives, the more our passion only grows. I think the Father wants us to know that prayer for the harvest leads to passion for the harvest. Here's the second thing. It, it, it occurs to me, like an implication of this verse, is that the Father wants us, he wants to be asked this request. Like he's saying, very few places that like in scripture, like scripture will say we need to pray, pray at all times, pray continually with thanksgiving. Here it's very specific. Pray that there would be workers for this great big harvest. Pray that there would be people, ordinary people with a past that would want to be part of this great big harvest, that they would be sent out. So an implication of this is that the father wants to be asked to send people out. And they say, well, why does that matter? That really didn't occur to me very much as a kid, it, or as a, but before I had kids, it wouldn't have really been like that big of a deal to me. But as a parent, I find myself more and more saying to my kids, don't even think about asking me or mom for that, because that's not going to happen. So I remember the day that Chase came home, and Chase said, Dad, I need an iPhone. And I said, what? You're 10 years old. You don't need an iPhone. And he said, Dad, he said, there's a girl in my class who told me she had to wait till she was nine to get an iPhone. And I said, are you kidding me? I had to wait till it was invented to get an iPhone, I told her. And so I, I said, I don't even want to hear it. I don't even want to hear it. So don't ask me for an iPhone. You're going to get a hand-me-down iPod that I probably broke the screen on is what you're going to get. That's what you're going to get. Don't ask me for that. But the father says this. Would you just ask me? Would you ask me for workers to be sent out? I want you to ask me. Like, I want you to ask me for this. I'm inviting you to ask me for this. It's almost like, like God wants so badly to work in this way. And in some way, he's, he's waiting on us, like he's waiting on ordinary people like us to ask him. I love what Andrew Murray in a book called The Secret of Intercession says. He says, God rules the world in his church through the prayers of his people. 
That God should have made the extension of his kingdom to such a large extent dependent on the faithfulness of his people in prayer is a stupendous mystery and yet an absolute certainty. God calls for intercessors. In his grace, he has made his work dependent on them. In fact, Andrew Murray says, he waits for them. The Father says, I want you to ask me for this. Here's the third implication. The Father wants us to go, but he also wants others to go with us. So this verse isn't saying, don't go, because there's other places in Scripture that are very clear. Go into all the world, live sent, be on mission. It's very clear all through the New Testament and all through the Old Testament. You can pull a thread from Genesis to Revelation that God is at work all around the world and he wants us to be part of it. But what this is saying is he's saying, he isn't saying don't go. He's saying go, but other people need to go too. The Father wants us to go, but he wants other people to go as well. So Missio Nexus, it's an organization that kind of brings together a whole different group of missions organizations, has a slogan that I love, and it's this. The Great Commission is too big for anyone to accomplish alone, and it's too important for anyone not to do together. The Great Commission is too big for any of us to do on our own, but it's too important. It's way too important for us to not do together. Jesus wants us to go, but he wants to have us go with others. My wife dragged me into something this year, and since she isn't here, I can tell you. My, drive, my wife, uh, because we had some friends that were part of our church, and they said, hey, we're going to run a race called a half of a half. That's a half of a half marathon. It's not like half and half like you put in your coffee. It's half of a half. And my wife said, we can do that. And Chad, you could do that. You could, we could do that together. We could do that with our friends, Matt and Marka. And, and that would be fun. And then a bunch of their other friends are going to go. And we could all do this together. And I looked at her and I said, that's a bad idea. Like, that, look at me. Like, that's a bad idea. Like, that is a really, really bad, like I told her, I said, babe, I just bought these pants. They're 40 inches in the waist. They're 30 inches in the inseam. I'm further around than I am long. I can roll down a hill faster than I can run down a hill. That is a bad idea. That is a horrible idea. And she's like, no, no, we need to do it. We need to do it. It'll be great. We'll do it together. We'll have unity. It'll be great. And I'm like, yeah, that'll be great. And so we did it. We did it. She trained and I didn't. And so we showed up at the race, and she said, let's run together for a while. And after about 50 yards, I just said, you know what, I think I'm slowing you down. Like, I had a rope around her, you know, and so I'm like, I think I'm slowing you down. I said, why don't you go on up ahead? And so she took off, and here I am trying to get through a half of a half. Like, oh, man, this is not good. I heard about way too many people dying while they exercise. Like, this is, oh, this is not good. This is not good. This is not good. This is not good. And there came a point, I looked over, and I realized that I was keeping pretty good pace with this very, very old woman. 
totally true story. I look, she's on this side of the street, and I'm on this side of the street. And I thought, like, my, my power walk was like a jog for her. So I felt really good about this. So I kind of kept pace with her. And honestly, I was proud. This woman was like 195 years old. And so I was like, this is good. Like, this is like Father Abraham like and Sarah running the race, you know? And so I'm trying to do my thing, and she's doing her thing. Well, finally, I went over, and I said, I'm like sweating. And, you know, they're handing out Gatorade. And I'm like, just give me the bucket. Like, just give me. Do you have a big gulp back there? Like, I'll take the big gulp. And so I went over, and I said, ma'am, I I hope you know something. You are an absolute inspiration to me. And she wasn't even sweating. And she said, oh, thank you. That's so nice. And then she said, um, you know, yesterday was the 5K, and I did the 5K yesterday. And I said, I ate a whole large pizza yesterday. And uh, so we're going along like this. And I said, uh, she said, this is my third half of a half this year. I said, really? I put half and half in my coffee this morning. That's really nice. And so we're going along. That's really rather That's rather weird, isn't it? Me just shaking my arms like, hey, I shouldn't do that. Um, sorry, I've never told this story in a message before. And so I, I said to this lady, um, can we strike that off the video feed? Um, I, I said to this lady, I said, um, what's your secret? Like, what's your secret? And she said this, my secret is that I am always on the lookout for other people who I can run with. So very rarely do I run alone. I said, really? You want to run together? And then she said, well, you're married, aren't you? And I'm like, look, I'm not asking you to marry me. I'm asking you to carry me is what I'm asking. And so we did, we did um, probably five, six miles of that race together. We talked, we laughed. I heard all about her grandkids and her great-grandkids. It was fantastic. And when I finished, when I finished, Julie was like, what carried you through? I said, this woman, she was like over 100 years old, and she carried me through, babe. And Julie said, don't you feel good? I said, I feel hideous. I feel awful. I want to go throw up. I don't feel good at all. <laughs> and, uh, but then I thought about the fact that this woman makes it. One, she keeps moving, but two, she's always on the lookout for other people who can run with her. She said, I have a friend. She didn't do this. She wasn't up to it. She's 88 years old. I'm like, she wasn't up to it? Good grief. I would be prearranging my funeral if I was 88 years old. Like, she wasn't up to it, but she ran the 5K. She'll be up here on the sideline cheering us on, and she was. Here's this 88-year-old woman. Go, go. Oh, you got a friend. Go, go. The Father wants us to go. But he also wants others to go with us. The Father wants us to go, but he wants others to go with us. So on your way in tonight, you received a card. It looks just like this. Um, it's three by five. It's blank. I need you to pull out something to write with and your card, because I need you to be a part of the very front edge of something. I'm going to give you a minute to do that. We have a dream, a vision, really, a longing as, a, as an organization that by the summer of 2020, we would have 400 missionaries that are serving all around the world. For that to happen, it's going to take about 10 brand new teams of people serving in all around the world in strategic places like Asia and Cambodia and Europe and Turkic Arabic area. And I'm not asking you to sign up to go tonight. That's not what I'm asking you to do on this card. We're inviting and we're, we're seeking out and we're looking for 400 people 
that would say, I'll pray. And we're gonna find, we're gonna find more than 400. I pray it ends up being 4,000. We're gonna find 400 people that would say, I will pray specifically that God will raise up workers for a laborers and leaders initiative. That God will raise up those missionaries, that, that they will have other people to run with them. And if you would say, hey, I'll pray for that, like, I'll pray for that. Here's what I want you to do. I want, I want your name and your address, because I want to send you a little prayer reminder that, we're, that we've got made up, an address uh, uh, that we're having printed as we speak, actually, an address, uh, uh, your, your name, your address, and your email as well, so we can send you updates on that. Now, you say, well, why wouldn't you have a sign-up saying if maybe we could go? You know what? If, if that's you and you'd say, man, I'd like to talk more about that. I'd like to talk more about what it might mean to go. You can put an asterisk, a star, asterisk, I don't know how to say that word, a star next to, um, or a smiley face even, a, sm a star next to your name, your address, and your phone number. And uh, either Jackie or myself or a girl who works in our office named Olivia uh, will follow up with you, and we'd love to talk more with you about that. But if you'd say, hey, I'm willing to pray, uh, we want to know that. Because we need a whole bunch of people praying for workers for the harvest. Here's a fourth implication. When you're done with that, just pass it to the middle, and whoever's sitting on the center aisle, just leave them there, and we'll collect them when we're done tonight. Here's a fourth one, a fourth implication. The Father doesn't want people to drift into mission. The fourth implication of this verse is that the Father doesn't want people to drift into mission. Jesus used the words here, and he says, would you pray that the Father would send out people into his harvest. Now, I'm, I'm no linguistic scholar here, but the word that's used for send out or is the word ekbalo. It's not the normal word that's used for send, as most translations would write this verse. It's a spiritually violent word. It's filled with passion and force. It's the same word that Jesus uses when he talks about casting out a demon. And so just as decisively as a demon would be cast out of a person, he's saying, I don't want anyone to drift into mission. I want people who are sent out like there's like there's something that they're going toward but there's like a like a wind like a nudge like a, even a push that comes at our back that comes from God not from some guilt-ridden moment but a push that comes from God and we know it's God where we're being sent out into the harvest this authority and force that Jesus uses in casting out demons is the very same spiritual force and authority by which he wants to send out people into his harvest field. So he doesn't want anyone out in the harvest that's like, how did I end up here? Like, I, I don't know how this happened. I just kind of drifted into this. I, he's looking for people that are sent. He's looking for people that just say, here, I was here, and now I know that I'm going there, and I have to go. He wants people that are sent out decisively. He wants people that are sent out with great clarity. He wants people that are sent out who say, for me, I know that this is clearly God's leading and direction in my life. He wants people that are sent out in a way that's so clear and so decisive that they've just said, we know that this is God's plan. And, I'll just, and, and we don't want any other plan that isn't God's plan. He wants people that are sent out like that. This word, ekbalo, means to be sent out decisively. It's also the same word that's used when Jesus was sent out into the wilderness. 
Because sometimes we're sent out into difficult places. And he was sent out into the wilderness where he was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. And in Mark it says the spirit drove him into the desert. It was almost like Jesus was being guided with a, like a hand on his back that drove him into the desert. And in that moment it was like saying he wants people that are sent out that just realize there's this encouraging force. This, there's this, this encouraging force that the, the Holy Spirit that's sending us out. See, the Father doesn't want anybody to drift into mission. The Father doesn't want anybody that just accidentally becomes a missionary. The Father wants people that are clearly sent out, whether that's sent across the street or whether that's sent around the world. Here's the last one. The Father is revealing through this passage, through this verse, that one of the most powerful forces for missions is desperate prayer. One of the most powerful forces for missions is desperate prayer. So one scholar says it this way, when Jesus ekbalos, or casts out demons, demons must leave. And when Jesus ekbalos, or sends out laborers, evangelists and missionaries must go out because they can't not go out. They have to go out. When Jesus casts out a demon, the demons leave. And when Jesus sends out people, people go. The remedy that Jesus offers to the crisis of workers and the crisis of a need for a larger labor force in the kingdom is prayer. It's people that are on their knees and on their faces before God that are longing for workers in the harvest. And here, I think, is what makes this like one of the most powerful forces of all. And the band's gonna come back up and we're gonna wrap this up. But here's what I think makes this one of the most powerful forces of all is that this is a prayer, this is a prayer that's not only powerful because we're praying that God would send out workers, but this is a prayer that we need to be willing to be the answer to as well. Like this isn't a prayer like, oh God, you know, I've got a lot of friends and they would be great, God, but this is a prayer. What makes it so powerful is that you, the very person praying that prayer, might be the answer to that prayer. And so it's not about someone who lives somewhere else and, and someone who's different than you are, somebody who's more gifted than you are, somebody who's younger than you are, older than you are, somebody who's smarter than you are. Somebody who's a better speaker than you are. Somebody who can lead people to Jesus better than you can. It's not about any of that. This is about praying a prayer that Jesus would say to us, maybe you're going to be the answer to that prayer. Maybe you're going to be the answer to that prayer for workers. Like you keep praying that God would do something in this town. Maybe you're going to be the answer to that problem. Maybe you're the worker that God is waiting to send. I'd like you to bow your heads with me. And I'd like to just close in this way. I'd like us to stand together. And um, I'd like us to close in, in this way. I'd like you to bow your heads uh, with me. Close your eyes if you would. Here, here's what I'd like you to do. We're going to sing a song together. And as we sing that song, um, whatever God is asking you to do, I want you just to say yes. 
I think the answer to anything God asks us to do is yes. Let me rephrase that. I know that the answer to anything God asks us to do is yes. It's the only answer that God is worthy of is our our best yes. And so whatever God is asking you to do in these moments as we sing this song together, just say yes. Maybe you want to kneel at this altar and say, okay, God, I'm saying yes. I'm saying yes to to making sure, God, that the rest of my life is like bifocal. It's focused here and it's focused around the world. Maybe it's saying, okay, God, I'll say yes, I'll go. God, I, I, I don't understand it, but God, I'm willing to go. I'm willing to walk that road. Or I'll say yes, I'm going to be a person of prayer. You say, well, I don't even know how to pray. I'll say yes, I'm going to learn how to pray. Or I'll say yes, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to reorient my life for the good of others. I say yes, God, to your, whatever it is that God's saying to you, you know what it is. Whatever it is, would you just say yes? Maybe you want to kneel at this altar. Maybe you just want to sit at your seat. Maybe you just want to kneel at your seat. But maybe you want to find a place tonight that you just put a stake in the ground and say, there was a night, there was a night at Kingswood that I put a stake in the ground and I said yes to God and some things that I'd been saying no to for quite a while. And so Jesus, I pray that tonight we would say yes and that you would be honored And I pray that you would send out workers into your harvest field with clarity and with urgency and with power so that people at all four corners of this globe would praise you, that all the people would praise you. And it's in your name we pray.